0: This is Opinionated, a roundtable debate that fascinates with each new thought-provoking guest, the place to convey strong ideas and at times the casual controversy. Join Features Editor Ben Schiller and reporters Anna Batacoba and Danny Nelson as they push the conversation further with their own criticisms and reactions to the latest Bitcoin and crypto news from around the world. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice.
1: Hi, everybody. This is Opinionated. I'm Ben Schiller, Features Editor here at Coindesk. And joining me today are Anna Vedakova in Moscow. Hey, Anna. Hello. And Danny Nelson, who I think is in New York. Danny? Who knows? Who knows? He doesn't know. D- Danny's no
2: decentralized. decentralized. I'm like decentralized. i have
1: decentralized. Who cares a- where we are? It doesn't really matter. This is all uh, Zoom I- uh, recorded and, and it's it doesn't really matter anymore. I'm actually
2: Please. a DAO.
3: Yeah, that's what yeah, I am. It's, it's, like,
2: it's like Binance headquarters. It's like, you know, physically it doesn't exist.
3: Exactly. My middle name is CZ, so, you know, (laughs) who knows? Anyway. (laughs) That would be a good good
1: middle name. Uh, So today we're going to talk about Policy Week, because this is Policy Week here at Coindesk, which is a comprehensive look at the year ahead in regulatory and legislative matters. And the basic premise here is that the regulators are coming. Politicians are coming. They've ignored and derided this industry for a long time, but they're now waking up and learning what this is all about, and they're going to tax the crap out of this stuff. And they're going to surveil the markets. They're going to centralize control and they're going to take back this industry uh, for the humble consumer and investor and protect all of us from ourselves. So, we're going to be looking at that through a series of features that we're rolling out this week, along with a range of opinion pieces, interviews from industry officials, ex officials, and you name it. And that's going to be going on across the Coindesk platform in writing and in podcasts like this one and on multimedia on our, our TV platform. So very, very exciting. And we're going to be looking at stable coins and DeFi and NFTs, the lobbying picture in DC, and also, of course, foreign regulatory matters, for instance, in China and European Union and so on. So we're going to talk about some sort of different aspects of this today. And Danny Nelson is going to lead off and talk about one thing that he finds very, very interesting.
3: Yeah, uh, that thing is global financial stability, and according to the IMF, cryptocurrencies are not that good for it. The IMF last week came out with this very long report about uh, some of the main challenges to global financial stability, uh, identifying COVID, crypto, and climate as a trio—the axis of evil—as I tweeted last week. But you know, in the crypto section, the IMF goes into all of the different issues that it sees as occurring when consumers and when people around the world more aggressively adopt and more expansively adopt cryptocurrencies, whether that's Bitcoin, as you might see in El Salvador, or stable coins among traders, or just crypto more generally, uh, the adoption trends going around. And one of the most interesting things that I saw in the report uh, was the IMF's calling out the risk of cryptoization as a force that could actually push emerging market economies Toward uh, dollarization. Now, you know, at this, okay, take a step back here. It's a little weird to think about. How could crypto actually force economies to dollarize? Well, let's just say you've got a small economy. They suddenly turn toward stable coins. All right. Well, what's a stable coin backed by or representative? of? It's representative of a dollar, more or, mostly. or less. Mostly around the world. There are s- certain cases where it's, you know, there are local stable coins, but the biggest stable coins are certainly those that are following or, or representative of the dollar
2: it's not even only stable coins bitcoin i think in most countries is the bitcoin price is denominated in dollars so you know when you buy bitcoin you automatically count that you have a certain amount of dollars uh, it, and it doesn't really matter how much in your currency it is that so in this sense i would say yes it should be you know playing in the dollarization team
3: yeah. And so one of the big policy challenges of dollarization is yeah, if your economy dollarizes, you as a, say the central bank loses control over monetary policy. Now, there are lots of examples of countries voluntarily pursuing dollarization to basically, they admit that their currency systems just don't work and they, they, they move to the dollar. There are also plenty of examples of spontaneous dollarization in places like Cambodia which years ago just suddenly started using the dollar. And even now they have a currency there, but people transact mostly in the dollar. And so here you've got the IMF and this report calls out a lot of issues with crypto, uh, but saying uh, you guys shouldn't, no one should be rushing to adopt crypto, certainly not on a national official basis, as is the case in El Salvador, but even on a lower level, you guys could risk losing control of your monetary controls and not just to you know, magic internet money, but to the dollar by going down this path.
1: It's sort of deeply ironic, isn't it? Because you know, so many people in the United States worry about crypto as a threat to the dollar, but arguably stable coins, which are largely USD backed, are a huge kind of expansion of soft power in, in the financial markets. I mean, all these denominations in dollars are an expansion of the influence of the dollar, and by proxy, the regulators and the powers that be in the US-based financial system. So we should be embracing this as Americans, at least this kind of stable coinization of finance.
3: I don't know. That's a dollarized imperialism going on right there, in that statement you just made.
1: I'm not endorsing a jingoistic kind of point of view on this, but I'm saying if you're a policymaker and you care about American power, you should be embracing this thing that extends the power, you know.
3: Yeah, I guess that one thing that we can be sure of is I don't think we're, we're going to see the Chinese digital yuan take off, but I don't think we're going to see a stable coin linked to uh, China's currency. So in terms of a crypto stable coin, that is an issue.
1: To what you were saying about financial stability and uh, the IMF, which is uh, no friend of crypto uh, now or, or in the past, Bank of England came out last week, the deputy governor of the Bank of England the oldest uh, central bank in the world, John Cunliffe, he warned that cryptocurrencies represent a threat to the financial system in the same way as the subprime mortgage securities did during the 2008 financial crisis, which is quite a statement, given how big that financial crisis was. He was saying and that, that the... Bitcoin
2: was created after it.
1: Exactly. And sort of another irony there. So he's pointing out that uh, you know, crypto assets have gone from a $16 billion market to a 23 trillion dollar market in the space of five years, which now represents something like the scale of the subprime mortgage market. And we all know how that ended. The, the question here is about leverage, about uh, taking assets and kind of maximizing and you know, leveraging them up and uh, creating risks in the economy. What do you think about that, Danny? It seems on the face of it, crazy to compare those two things, but I guess crypto has grown so much that we have to kind of take it seriously like this.
3: I mean, I guess that's more of a statement for where crypto could go than where it is. I do think that the harbingers of doom that are coming out of the, the central banks and the IMF and global authorities, you know, this is talking about where crypto could end up if the trends that we have seen continue. Like, all right, where were we this time last year? DeFi was a $10 billion industry. Now it's a $100 $1 billion, $200 billion industry, depending on who you ask. No matter what, it's at least 10x in 12 months still we're a, the crypto people it's a tiny slice of the world uh, there are much bigger institutions participating now but just talking sheer people numbers there's a lot of room to grow so there's a very real possibility that crypto could continue to expand stable coins defi all that stuff and if it goes in that way aggressively Maybe there's a a world in which you could have a financial, a crypto-caused financial crisis. I don't know. Let's just say we've spoken about on this in earlier podcasts. uh, What if, hypothetically, of course, Tether were to implode? What would that do for the crypto markets? At the moment, I think that we kind of agreed that maybe it would be a temporary shock to prices, to asset valuations, but maybe in the long term, it would not end crypto as we know it. But if we continue down the path that we have been on, maybe you see a world in which crypto really could disrupt the global economy in that kind of way with the crisis situation. I don't think we're there yet, but it's important to think about it now, I guess. Yeah.
2: I've been thinking, you know, in the context of the future financial crisis, similar to, to the one that happened before Bitcoin was invented. I'm often thinking about all these big companies, there is just a handful of big companies at the moment that are aggressively buying Bitcoin, thousands of Bitcoin for their treasury. And some people think it's very prudent. The risk for these companies are quite tangible and and for people who are relying on them too, because nobody knows what happens to crypto prices. So in this sense, crypto is becoming this infrastructure element you know, the, the element of corporate finance, which might trigger bigger effects on the economy right. than just, you know, a, a disparate crowd of retail people that for some reason bought some crypto on an exchange and, you know, holding it or whatever. Yeah, It's really interesting to watch if more companies going to join Tesla and Microstrategy and others and load on Bitcoin. If that's gonna have some tangible effect, you know, on economy, on finance globally.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the themes of a policy week this week that governments fear that the loss of control. These markets are growing, and now they feel like they need to uh, step back in. But I I do feel again, there's a certain sort of irony here, and sort of. So picking on this kind of still fairly small market of crypto, while we have much more uh, instability in the economy from other things and, and other, other causes, and it's always seeming to be crypto that, that's causing the problem. And You mentioned before, Danny, about climate change. I mean, climate change is a much bigger threat to financial stability than little old crypto is. And I'm thinking about these uh, Pandora papers the other day about you know showing all these uh, leaders around the world... Uh, embezzling funds in, in offshore jurisdictions and, and squirreling away billions and trillions of dollars from, uh, from, from us, the taxpayer. I mean, surely that's a much bigger problem than, than crypto is to financial stability and financial legitimacy going forward. So I, I just feel that crypto is always this kind of easy target.
3: I would. And I would say, you know, going back to the three chapters, COVID, crypto, climate, COVID has been the story for two years now, just about, a little less. Climate is the story and will, going forward, be the most all-caps important story of our time with the most important ramifications that go much beyond you know, personal wealth into, honestly, existential areas. But, and crypto is not that. I guess what the IMF, what warrants it getting its own chapter is basically the threat that it poses to monetary control. Whereas the other two forces are kind of outside of the IMS, I mean, they're not really outside of the IMF's direct purview, but monetary policy is right there, Our International Monetary Fund, monetary policy, that's something they very much care about. And so they want to be telling global regulators, central bankers, look, you guys need to have sound monetary policies. You need to have efficient payment rails in order to head off what we see as a potential crisis. So... I don't know if they're picking on crypto so much as saying, look at that kid in the corner. If we, uh, we let him go uh, do what he wants, he might grow yeah. up and beat us up one day.
1: Right. But I mean, it's, the, the system is unstable already and crypto is only a threat because that system is unstable. And um, maybe we should deal with the fundamental instability first rather than blaming crypto for something it's not actually causing right now. I, I mean, it, it, this is a, a future threat rather than something that's happening at, at the moment and maybe we should fix the kind of general imbalance in the world economy, the, the inequality, the massive control of, of the US government o- over the system, which I think is unhelpful in lots of ways. And surely we yeah. should have the, the, the room to kind of innovate and see if we can create a better system rather than shutting down this entire like, industry for something that it's not really doing.
2: Yeah. And all these conversations, it feels like they are based on an assumption that the global regulators other providers of stability and order, and they maintain that things work as they should work and you know, that, that the world is fair, in a sense that crypto you know, just doesn't care about what regulators do and just exists in parallel, still, it is a threat to these regulators and you know, by proxy in this context to the stability and order. But, you know, if you question the basic assumption, maybe the whole thing looks a bit different.
3: Exactly. And, exactly. and then a, a final point, I think, on this topic. It's worth remembering that the IMF is not calling for crypto, Bitcoin to be banned, for stablecoins to be outlawed. They're not doing that. They are, ma- they are making certainly recommendations on how governments should treat it, in part, more regulation, which is something that most uh, participants in the crypto space will, will not like but they are just saying, let it exist. Let's watch it more closely. The solution to the crypto problem is not only the reaction directly to crypto, but also the IMF is telling countries, look, this is only a possible issue, like Ben, you were alluding to, because you have allowed the system to get to a point where this crazy outside payment ecosystem could exist. And in order to protect yourself against that uh, exterior threat, you need to shore up your internal monetary policies. You need to move away from dollarization. You need to have central bank digital currencies and more efficient payment rails. None of those things are saying no one can use USDC. They're saying governments, you need to do a better job at what you're already supposed to be doing. Uh, And in doing so, perhaps you can avoid what we think to be the worst of some crypto crisis in the future.
1: Exactly. All right, let's move on. Uh, we've had enough of instability, I think, for one day. I want to bring up a whole nother topic, which we're also tackling during Policy Week, which, by the way, is our uh, extensive look at regulatory and legislative matters as pertaining to crypto. And that's NFTs, that's non fungible tokens. So this is obviously a big phenomenon this year big uh, upticks in, in prices, a lot of market movements, a lot of empowerment of, of artists and a lot, a lot of excitements around uh, apes and punks and bears and lions and, and so on. But it's now clear, I think, that some of these NFT projects are encroaching on territory that's likely to bring them under the purview of the SEC, the big bad SEC and uh, related regulators. It's going to get kind of heavy going forward and it's no longer going to be sort of fun and creativity. The basis of this worry And this sort of emerging concern is what's called fractionalization. So as the value of these NFT assets has increased, so for instance, Bored Apes has seen in transaction value of $500 million this year, which is frankly astonishing. There's been increasing incentive to fractionalize these objects so that more investors can get involved, sort of like taking a company public. You want to democratize ownership so you can have a broader base and more liquidity. Trouble is that that means that regulators are more likely to get involved because these fractions of these valuable works of art in these online marketplaces sounds a lot like you know offering shares on uh, on Schwab or Robinhood, and some of these uh, projects have been sort of playing right up against the line of of regulations. So, for instance, projects like Buzzed Bears and Lazy Lions are offering to redistribute profits from future sales to current holders so basically you can buy a contract on these platforms that will allow you to buy into the future sales of those entities and that sounds a lot like uh, buying into a share and getting a dividend or something like that so it's clear that these nft platforms are increasingly sort of worried about this so for instance solarians which is another nft generative nft project based on the solana chain and ftx uh, was going to list those assets on its NFT platform. But that's uh, now being scotched because uh, they're worried about compliance issues. And it just seems like this is a harbinger of uh, what's going to be happening next year with this increasing convergence between NFTs and DeFi and these uh, mainstream platforms. We we now see that uh, Coinbase, for instance, is uh, listing NFTs and NFTs are basically becoming like Bitcoin or or, all these other types of assets which inevitably raises issues and this age-old question of, are they really securities? So uh, what do we think about that, guys?
3: With Solaris in particular, I'm actually, right now, I've been following this story for a bit, and it's worth remembering that two things. One, NFT that awards its users a percent of revenue stream from some other source sounds a lot like a security, okay? I mean, I don't know if there's much middle ground there, you're literally holding an instrument that rewards you returns based on some other work. That is one of the, the pillars of what makes security, security in the US. I've, I'm not a, a legal expert. I've spoken to experts. I've explained this situation and they said, well, if that, this was my client, I would have turned very lightly. So you've got that issue of an NFT being probably a security and that's definitely not okay. But then you've got the issue of what happens when you cancel out or attempt to cancel out the compliance issue and basically say, all right, well, this thing that you bought for, let's say, there were solarians were minted for 30 sol. Let's say you bought it. You bought it partly, you you paid $3,000 effectively at the time, probably because you were buying into this idea that you'd get some revenue. Now, ignoring the fact that you're no longer going to, You were promised something and now you feel rugged. So I think that NFT platforms are basically asking to be regulated because with stuff like this, they're moving faster than the securities law they think, but they're not because they're offering instruments that act like securities. And then when they realize, oh no, we effed up, we got to fix it. They leave their users holding the bags and very upset that they were promised something and weren't delivered. That sounds like a market that is running too fast, uh, especially if you're someone who, who owned one of these. And I think that it's probably going to move us closer to a point where NFTs are more closely regulated as everything in crypto is going to be.
1: So what are they saying
3: on that Discord uh, channel? Are they, are they pissed off with this? Oh, are they ever? Let me find one. All right. Here's one from last week. I'm simply calling out for what it is, sir. I'm just a lowly NFT buyer that funded what you promised like many others based on what you offered them. Now you downplay it and act like we peasants are useless to you now. Uh, And then they're talking about some NFT platform that Solarian's launched with the promise of that revenue being distributed among the users. Now, of course, they're abandoning that promise in favor of listing on FTX, which is its own little irony. But That's just one person who's saying, I feel rugged. You promised me something and now you're not delivering. And this is one project. This is certainly not the only project that this is happening to. It's an interesting sample of what's probably a larger trend. Right.
2: So for those who haven't been following this story, these guys were about to launch an NFT marketplace and instead of that, they did something else.
3: So they had launched the marketplace. The, the marketplace had amassed, I believe, in the revenue five thousand sol, and sol I believe is around, I don't know, one hundred thirty dollars per sol right now, something like that. It's a lot of money, and that was five thousand sol was to be distributed among the users according to some Fakakta distribution scheme that they kept delaying the initiation of. So no one ever got a payment. Now no one ever will get a payment. And everyone who thought they would get a payment is very upset that they paid sometimes thousands of dollars either to the issuer in the minting or on the secondary market to other uh, holders for something that is no longer the case. So they thought they were buying an NFT that was more than just a pretty picture, and now they're stuck with what is not even that pretty of a picture.
2: And the reason for that?
3: The reason for that is FTX, backstory, FTX is launching a platform and an, a marketplace for NFTs. And one of the rules uh, get, for getting listed on FTX is you can't be a revenue sharing project. So, uh, so this project specifically, and it's not the only one that has to square this circle, thought, all right, well, we want to go on FTX. So we can't have this revenue sharing thing. Let's nix that and see what happens. And people are not happy um, because they are. bought into an idea that is no longer the case. So it's they don't allow revenue sharing projects because of the compliance issues? Be- because there's so, so great a risk that those things could be considered securities. Right, uh, And the SEC, it's too early in the story of NFTs for there really to be any precedent. No one really knows how the SEC will treat it. But if you just look at who Gary Gensler is, what, how he understands crypto and what he's done and what he's said about the space, if it looks like a duck. And it quacks like a duck. First, it will lose Danny money because he bought it as an NFT. But second, <laughs> Gary's going to come for it and de- declare it a duck. Yeah,
1: Gary is big bad Gary. He's coming for your bags.
2: He's just saving these poor NFT investors from themselves. Maybe that crowd might need that. I don't Pro- know.
1: Probably,
3: quite honestly.
1: So, Danny and Anna, uh, any final thoughts here?
3: We we didn't talk about Russia.
1: Oh, Russia. Let's talk about Russia. Oh.
2: Yeah. So last week there was this hypey piece of news. Backstory: There is an energy week going in Russia, and uh, the CNBC journalist asked Vladimir Putin during that event, "Do you think that oil in the future might be traded for crypto? Because Russia has been talking for a while about, you know, that the dollar hegemony is bad, and that if they sanction us, uh, maybe we use some other tool for international payments." Uh, And then the journalist asks Putin like, so, okay, how about selling oil for crypto? And Putin basically said like, yeah, no, it's too early to talk about it. And he said, crypto, it may exist as a means of payment, but I think it's too early to say about the oil trade in cryptocurrency. So basically like zero news here, but way too many news outlets picked that quote and said. Oh, Putin say crypto can be used as a means of payment, which is just basically a statement of a fact of reality, like it can, yes. But don't forget that in Russia, crypto is not a legal tender and a, you know, a particular law says it literally. So I don't think anything changes short term, or even long term. And we're still waiting for the taxation law in Russia to come out. It's very stuck in the parliament. And it's not clear when it's coming out of it.
1: So you would attach no significance to the fact that he mentioned the word crypto and and sort of saw it as a potential use case in the future, there there was nothing in it?
2: Well, it's funny, I want want to cite Bloomberg now. So the, the way Bloomberg talks about it, is that Vladimir Putin signaled tolerance of cryptocurrencies, which is like, you know, if Putin is not yelling at something, it's already good news, you know? He doesn't want to ban this. He didn't say it's bad. Yay. Uh, Well, I think he just doesn't care.
1: Yeah, well, at least he's not assassinating or invading crypto,
3: which is a good thing, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, anyway, uh, Danny... Not an accident. Danny, you want to say anything about that? I do wish I knew Russian. One, to translate my old family letters, and two, so I could follow the legislative process there. No, oh, it's
2: very boring, Danny. It's like oh, I love
3: boring things. I love you, boring. If you want sort of like,
2: you know, if if you want to learn Russian to follow how the crypto laws are developed in Russia, it's not worth it. It's kind of disappointing, like the the amount of hype around it. It's so much bigger than the actual outcome. But let's see. In Russia, in many cases, what happens beyond the reach of the law is much more interesting than what happens to the law. (laughs) So…
1: All right, so I think we're going to wrap this up Bear that in mind. It's not just uh, what the lawyers say and the lawmakers say, it's what happens beyond both of those groups. I just want to suggest all of our listeners, because there are many, many thousands of them these days, please go and check out our Policy Week package. It's full of great stories from our writers. And you'll, you'll find exciting things on stable coins, DeFi, NFTs, as we've just been talking about. The emerging lobbying picture in DC and much, much more going to be across the platform. And it's going to be very, very exciting. Thanks very much, guys. And please check out the package uh, because it's going to be pretty good.
2: See you all next week.
3: Bye.
1: Bye-bye.
0: You've been listening to Opinionated with Ben Schiller, Anna Badakova, and Danny Nelson. Today's show is produced, announced, and edited by Michelle Mousseau. Our theme music is by Ellison. Have any questions or comments? Send us an email at podcasts at coindesk.com or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.